Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Celebrate good times. Come, Come on. Celebrate good times. Come, Come on. on. Do, 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 do. Dude, I'm so Four stoked. Cars. You better be. This is I Christmas. I am so freaking stoked. Christmas it's for like Josh It's like all my dreams have come true. Every single one of them. Well, at least one dream. <laughs> That's right. We are adding an additional beginning to our episode because a giant announcement, announcements, there's a lot of things that happened on this particular Monday, so we're recording for our Tuesday episode. Wizards has announced a lot of things, most notably Commander 2016. Yeah, so I'm just going to say it because I'm really excited. There's going to be four color commanders in this year's Commander product. Four colors. We've had three. I'm so excited! (laughs) We've had two. We've had one. I'm so excited. I'm so I'm so excited. And I just can't hide. Oh, nice. Oh, we're th- just singing a lot of songs on this episode. I was this thinking awesome. of Saved by the Bell, but we're not scared oh. in this case. We're very excited in a great way. So, five brand new decks. They're all four color, 100 card commander decks, along with 56 brand new magic cards, legal and eternal formats. Um, wow. Yeah, 56 new cards. So, at least what's five that of those, I to? That's think. Like yeah, it's five about, per deck. It's 10 per deck. 10, 11. It's actually 11, 11 a deck. On yeah, average. so that's pretty exciting too. I mean, they always do that. That's where like True Name Nemesis and you know yeah. those kind of cards came from. So those are obviously going to be legal in Vintage and Legacy, the new cards. But who cares about all of that? Four color commanders. Yeah, that's really exciting. So we've talked about this on the show a decent amount before. As sort of like our our dream, right? This this is like the thing that has not happened yet, and. um I'm incredibly excited. Five brand new commanders, I think. Uh, the Nephilim are the only other creatures in Magic's history that have four colors. And uh, they were not actually legendary, so you couldn't use them as a commander. But now, finally, we're going to be given that option to. Um, and there's a lot of questions I have about this. Right now, my big one is, normally in these sets, when they print a commander on the front of the deck, they'll include a couple of others inside the deck itself that are also four color. I don't actually know if they're going to do that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's possible that, like, you know, the four-color commander could be, like, the front man or, or the, the lead singer, and then inside the deck they could include, like, Animar because, right. 
it would be in three of the four colors and Calia or whatever. Um, so that kind of stuff is possible. I hope we get at least two, but I mean, at this point, it's all speculation. There's no way to know, right? Yeah, at this point, it is complete speculation. All I know is that I am so incredibly excited. Um, I don't, I have no idea how Wizards has approached to research and developing these guys. Um, in the past, we've mentioned a little bit about the four color and the restrictions it brings. Um, do you want to talk about that for, real quick? You know, I think Morrow has spoken before that it's difficult to design for four color because it becomes kind of ubiquitous, right? Like the four color commanders aren't necessarily all going to be that different because they sh- they have three colors in common with each other. Um, but it was our theory that what actually makes them each have their identity is the, actually the color that's missing. So like the color that's got all four colors but no red, maybe it's got some sort of restriction on the amount of damage that you can cause or something like that. Like that's, that's sort of like it's kryptonite or whatever. Obviously it would have huge upsides because of the colors that it does have. Yeah. That was just a theory that we had though once, I mean... Obviously, R&D's been working on this for a while. I'm sure they came up with some cool stuff. Who knows if it lines up with that at all? Yeah, you know, honestly, I would be excited to, one, not buy the deck that doesn't have red in it because that's clearly the worst of all of them. But (laughs) more specifically, yeah, it's interesting. I like the idea of a commander actually having a downside on top of an upside because the ability to access four colors is already very powerful. Um, Obviously, five-color commander decks can be pretty busted because you get, I mean, that's why you build a lot of your decks to be five-color. So I am really interested to see what kind of restrictions there are going to be with the four color commanders. Yeah, totally. And and you know, I think because they're the decks are going to be built to run with four colors, it's one of the exciting things is they're going to have to build a four color mana base for you that actually works. Yeah. So, I know a lot of people have asked us one of the big questions we get honestly is like how you build these complicated mana bases for like five color decks. Mm-hmm. And so, four color is pretty close to that, so I'm I'm thinking there's going to be some cool lands um you know, obviously there'll be like tri lands and stuff, but maybe they'll have like the slow fetches and some of the other lands that you know help you build mana bases like this. I, I'm get, I'm guessing we're not going to get like super expensive lands, but still, uh, you know, when you buy a monocolored deck, you're not getting a bunch of interesting lands that help you build complicated mana bases. Yeah, one of my theories that I just came up with is uh, in order to make the mana bases better, the four color commanders actually will be flip cards and that there'll be two colors or three colors on the front and one color or two colors on the back. Oh, so they, they're dual they, face. So they count for four colors, but you only need two or potentially three to cast them. But that's, I mean, that's, that could that's be... That's interesting. Could maybe be the cards on the inside. Who knows? Who knows? I heard some people theorizing that maybe it'll be like two color casting costs and then the other two color, like an activated ability. Oh, yes. Actually, yeah. Kind of like Tassiger um, or. Uh, yeah, exactly. Or uh, our good man Shu Yun. So all those cards definitely Alesha. have that. Alesha, yeah. Interesting. Actually, I like that theory as well. So I'm, I mean, who knows? The speculation is going to be everywhere. I, you know, I'm praying to the, uh, the Watsi gods that we get a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we will. So, um, Obviously, we're talking about this way ahead of time. It's not going to be released until November 11th. Uh, the MSRP is going to be $34.99, which I think is the same as it has been. Uh, it should mm-hmm. be really sweet. I'm super excited. Yeah. Anytime Wizards does something new that they haven't done before, it's always a great time to pay attention and see what happens because you know the original Commander sets had some very powerful cards in there. So who knows what's going to be in this one? Yeah, it's going to open up some doors that we haven't had access to before. Yeah. 
All right. Okay, so Wizards actually announced uh, like six, seven different things today. They have a new announcement schedule where instead of doing it piecemeal and bit by bit, they're actually doing a spring announcement and a fall announcement uh, so that everything's going to get lumped into one announcement so you'll know everything that's coming in ahead of time. Um, so let's just talk about some of the other stuff real fast because this is all Yeah, there was exciting. a lot of big stuff. So they announced the fall set for this year and the name of it and the setting. So it's going to be Kaladesh which, if you'll recall from Magic Origins, we saw a, a good peek at Kaladesh. It's where Chandra's from. Um, Pia and Kieran Nalar, Chandra's folks, are from there. It's an Indian-flavored set. Uh, they've released just a little bit of art. Um, I don't know. What do you think about it, Jimmy? I'm really excited. Obviously, it's a brand-new place that we've never been to before, and people are always clamoring for new planes, um, as well as clamoring for... Actually, people are clamoring for everything. So Kaladesh is really exciting to me. There's a new planeswalker uh, called Sahili Rai. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Shivam, of course. you got to correct us if we're wrong. Um, <laughs> I think it's really cool. Um, for one, you know, way back in the day with the Portal 3 Kingdom set, they visited China, right? And then in the Kamigawa block, they visited Japan, uh, so India is also a very rich and vast part of Asian culture. So it's really great to see them sort of expanding out. And if you look at the people that they consulted for this set, uh, they are all Indian names. So I believe they did a very extensive job researching it and making sure that everything was culturally appropriate and that translations and stuff were correct, hopefully. So I'm, I'm looking forward to a flavorful set, again, very similar to, you know, Innistrad. And as we learned in Origins, they love artifacts. So... Stuff like Hangerback Walker, Walker Thopters, uh, which makes me really excited because that goes into my Mono Red deck, clearly. Yeah, there, there's some things Kaladesh is known for. It's known for having very skilled artificers. So we know that artifacts will be, you know, one of the themes, which is great because artifacts tend to work in a lot of different EDH decks. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. We know the release date for Kaladesh will be September 30th, which means the pre-releases will be on September 23rd. Nice. We know that it, there are 264 cards in the set. Yeah, uh, so it's going to be the big set of the two. Um, also, excitingly, with this set, uh, Magic of the Gathering is definitely more racially progressive than Hollywood is at this point. <laughs> well, that's not hard. <laughs> Um, but we also actually know about the spring set, which is the second half to the set. If you guys remember now, we only have two sets per block. Uh, and this one's called Aether Revolt, which is really sweet. I love that. Cause yeah, Aether... this is actually the winter set, I think. Oh, winter, right, right. Because it comes out January 21st with 184 cards. Interestingly, uh, if you guys remember a lot of the Aether cards, like Aether, Girapur, Grid, or whatever, the A and the E are combined together. Uh, they're actually discontinuing that symbol, and they're going back into Magic's past and changing every card that has that to just be the letters A and E. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, I th- it makes a lot of sense. It really messes up gatherer searches if you look up for a card that has that symbol in it because you can't just type A-E and expect to find it. it it'll sometimes mess up. Maybe they fixed it, but I think they're simplifying in a good way here. Yeah, it seems smart. Most people probably don't even know how to make their computer make that symbol, the AE symbol. So I would say it's just needlessly complicated, right? <laughs> yeah, I'd say no one. I mean, maybe like 0.001% of people know how to do that. <laughs> Otherwise, you just Google it and hope just copy paste it. Um, yeah, so that's really exciting. I am very excited for these new sets. A, bl- a brand new plane that we've never been to before. Uh, a guaranteed going to be a Chandra card in there somewhere. Um, but oh, new yeah, planes for walkers. sure. In fact, we, we know that Chandra's playing a really big role, not just because it's her home plane, but also because they've announced sort of a new product 
called Planeswalker decks. So they were looking for a product that was sort of meant to shepherd beginning players from the sample decks and Magic Duels, the app, into like continuing to grow through the game of Magic. You know, right now, newer players have a really hard time finding a path from like desire to play Magic to like, I know how to play Magic. There's not a good path. So this is one of the things they're trying. The Planeswalker decks are pretty interesting. They're each, there's going to be two per set, and they'll each be built around a different Planeswalker. The first one that we've seen the um, packaging for is Chandra. Now, the Planeswalkers will be characters that are relevant to the current block. So obviously, Chandra is for Kaladesh. Each Planeswalker deck will be a 60-card deck, and will have two booster packs in it. MSRP will be $14.99. There's some interesting other things about the Planeswalker deck. Um, There's going to be five cards in each of the decks that won't be found in the expansion. So that means they won't be found in regular booster packs for like Kaladesh or Aether Revolt. But those cards will be considered connected to the block for standard legality. Really, really interesting. Um, This is a way that sort of some cards can be legal and standard, but they won't be available in regular booster packs. Yeah, uh, and I, a couple of finance guys immediately raised eyebrows at this for good reason, because if those cards are very powerful, um, then they have a limited release, essentially, because uh, they're inside this $15 product instead of being in the booster pack, especially if they're like a common or uncommon that you would normally find a lot of, and if it becomes playable, it means that price shoots up and you get a lot of crazy sort of like, oh gosh, I'm paying $3 for a common right now. Um, I think Wizards obviously has this in mind. They don't want to break standard because of these cards. Actually, they have intro decks that come out every year, and those cards are usually connected to standard too. And those, there are some weird cards in there that aren't that powerful, but are at like the rarity levels of rare and stuff. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Obviously, that doesn't concern us commander players too much, but those cards could be powerful because these Planeswalker cards are directly tied to them usually. Yeah, the Planeswalkers themselves are going to be... They're not going to be reprints of previous Planeswalkers. They're going to be designed specifically for these Planeswalker decks. And like you said, they're going to be really cognizant. They stated many times in the article that they don't really want these Planeswalkers to be used in standard or anything. So they're going to cost them pretty highly. And they're going to be maybe simplified versions of regular Planeswalkers because it is for beginning players. It's not necessarily for brand new players, but it's for beginning players. It's going to be really interesting to see what these look like. There's a pretty good chance that the Planeswalkers, at least, are something that are possible for commander players that they might want to put in their decks, though. Yeah, and one of there's like two rare spells, two, three uncommons, I think, and they like one of the rare spells will actually tutor for that specific Planeswalkers. Uh, the the uncommons are like permanents or stuff that may be enhanced by having the Planeswalker in the battlefield. It'll be really interesting to see. They're very thematic decks. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun if you're a brand new player coming into the game because you have this deck that feels cohesive and has a little bit of, I guess, almost similar to how we can always cast your commander, a lot of cards that can help you get to your Planeswalker card, um, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, pretty exciting. Um a small announcement, another thing that they talked about is they're sort of rebranding the Fat Pack. Actually, they're renaming it, too. So as of Kaladesh, when it's released uh, in late September, Fat Packs will be no more. We won't call them that. They'll be called the set name and then Bundle. So the Kaladesh one will be called Kaladesh Bundle, and the Aether Revolt one will be called Aether Revolt Bundle. Um, their MSRP is going up a little. I believe it's forty two ninety nine. So... Mm-hmm. 
basically the fat pack staying the same. You still get the box. You still get the land pack. You still get the life counter. But you get 10 boosters instead of 9. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, fat pack is a very easy to say name, but there's nothing particularly fat about the box. You know, I like bundle is a much (laughs) better, I mean, at least more reasonable name, I think. Yeah, it's an interesting change. I guess they must have done some market research and they wanted to change the name. And then I guess 10 booster packs just sounds probably better than nine. Yeah, definitely. Um, One announcement that's very exciting is the Plane Chase Anthology. Now, we've talked about Plane Chase a little bit on the show. These are sort of like giant oversized cards uh, that that are called planar cards, and they have these awesome abilities on it, and you can play commander with them around the table where they're sort of like world enchantments that affect everyone, and you have a dicey roll to travel from one plane to the next. Um, It's going to retail for $150, but it's got four 60-card decks from Plane Chase 2012, uh, it has 86, the full set, I believe, of the oversized planar cards. Um, really, really sweet. These are not easy to get. If you go online and try and find them, they're expensive uh, because they have a lot of really strong creatures in them as well. There's cards like Baleful Strix was printed in Plane Chase originally. Um, and so those cards actually are not easy to get, and their price has gone up as a result. Uh, but this is awesome. It's kind of like the Dual Decks anthology, but for Plane Chase. Yeah, it's it's basically the equivalent of the Dual Decks Anthology. One thing I saw in here that's pretty interesting is you get deck boxes. You get the oversized deck box for the oversized cards, mm-hmm. which cool. I know something Craig's going to be excited about. Because, I'm excited about it. I don't have a place to put my freaking player yeah, cards. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's, – it's one of those things – you're right. We've talked about before where the plane chase cards, the large plane chase cards – are actually really fun to bring out and play and use in your playgroup just to spice things up now and then and just change the way the game works. We do it from time to time. Sometimes we do it even with the multiplayer cube uh, that we've got in our playgroup. So it's a fun option for your playgroup to have. And up until now, if you didn't already have the plane chase cards, it was pretty expensive. Yeah. You know, maybe not worth it just because it's not like it's making your deck more powerful or something. And now you'll be able to get a hold of them a lot easier with a bunch of other cards that are actually hard to get a hold of, too. Yeah, exactly. You can finally get that Bloodbraid Elf. Very exciting. Uh, uh, they announced the dual deck for this year. It's uh, Nissa versus Obnixilis. Um, nothing, uh, nothing much to say about that. That's just a normal product that we get this time. We get Nissa and Obnixilis. So if you want one of those cards, that might be an easy way to get both of them. I guess you'd probably have to want both of the cards. Yeah. Uh, but they will have new art, and they will be foiled versions uh, because they're yeah, individual that's true. decks. Uh, Conspiracy 2, Take the Crown, a small announcement about this. So uh, Conspiracy 2 comes out August 26th. Josh and I cannot count down the dates fast enough. Uh, oh, come on. I know, it's so close. Plus, we'll be closer to November 11th and the uh, Commander four-color Commanders. Yeah, and November 25th for the Plane Chase Anthology. So it's going to be a good end of year for Magic here. Um so uh, the small announcement about Conspiracy is that they're actually selling draft packs in mass market stores, so like your Walmarts and your Targets, uh, where you can get three booster packs of Conspiracy for eleven ninety nine. So you can just buy one of those and immediately have a draft pack. You don't need to buy a whole box or go to a store and buy three individual boosters. You can go pretty much anywhere and get a draft pack. So, I mean, if this encourages more people to, to draft Conspiracy, I'm pretty much all for it. Yep, nothing much to that announcement. Uh, I just think... Well, actually, there is something, because you're right. This way, you don't have to buy an entire box. And if you and four friends want to draft Conspiracy, it's totally like made 
yeah. to do that. It's hard to just do a normal draft with only four people, but in general, conspiracy works fine with that amount, four, five, six. So it's great to be able to just go and only buy the amount of packs that you need and not have like a whole bunch, you know, have to buy an entire box or something like that. So yeah, 100%. I like that, yeah. especially with the worries these days about buying loose booster packs because of box mapping and, and this kind of thing that I'm not saying that a lot of LGSs do because I don't think they do, but I know people do worry about it. So being able to buy like a prepackaged thing that has three boosters in it, that's just peace of mind, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Hey now, you're an all star. Get game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get played. I always thought it was laid. Well, it maybe be, it, but it was... I think it switches around. Get laid down, you know, to rest because you just played a really good show. Get laid down to rest. Get laid down to rest. Get laid down to get rest. Laid... Put a blanket over you. <laughs> it's time to sleep. You've had a hard day of rocking out, you rock star, you. Family friendly right there. Yep. This show's family friendly. We're not recording, are we? Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> you jerk. I had no idea. I just snuck over and was like, boop, boop. It only caught the last bit of it. What happened to... Wait, what's the name of that band? Um, um, wait. I want to say Smashing Pumpkins. That's not it, obviously. It's Smash, Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth. I was Smash like, Mouth. I know there's a Smash. Smash Mouth, um, outside of the fact that they all had horrendous facial hair, everyone had the goatee. Um, they had a nice like three or four years uh, uh, string there. They did something in 2015. It's just called the Bread Incident. 2015 on Wikipedia. On June 14th, Smash Mouth was playing a set at the Taste of Fort Collins when Steve Harwell broke from his set and went into an angry three-minute expletive-laden tirade, threatening to beat the audience members responsible for hitting him with bread. Wow. <laughs> and the band played the opening chords of All Star throughout a significant portion of Harwell's rant. They oh, were just like, we'll just keep playing. We'll just keep playing this song. We're going to play our hit single behind him. Wow. Hey, now, you're an all-star. Get the show on. Get bread thrown at you. <laughs> hey, everyone. You're listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. It's been a very long week. <laughs> oh, man. You tell me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's why we have a nice light episode for you guys today. Uh, that's why we have an editor. Yeah, that's true, actually. Terry Robertson saving our lives one pregnant pause at the time <laughs> i wonder if it'd be funny if we met people in real life and they're like wow like, i'll listen to your podcast and we're like hi how's it going <laughs> today and they're like wow your editor must do a lot of work he does do a lot of work everybody he yeah does. that's true have you guys seen the videos on youtube yet you should check them out they're awesome you ha- if you haven't it's kind of crazy i mean i, I know probably there's people that you know normally listen to the show in their car because right. that's convenient for them but you should definitely check out just to see what's going on with the videos because it is pretty sweet yeah. and terry puts a lot of work into them so yep i'm assuming most of you have i'm i'm gonna make that assumption too speaking of cool things on video on twitch twitch uh the csl the community super league is awesome it's the first year it's ever been done yeah you've been watching this too then mm-hmm. it's pretty sweet so each thursday on twitch.tv slash magic they're doing the Community Super League. Well, maybe we should run down the cast. Yeah, so we have MTA cast, the lovely Megan Maria. We have the Professor himself. We got Wedge from the Manasaurus. Kenji Agashir and Numat the Nummy. Marshall Sutcliffe of Loading, <laughs> Loading, not Loading, of LR, Limited Resources. We also have Loading Ready Run. Paul Cheon, Hounf, 
Aaron Forsyth from Magic R&D and The Girlfriend Bracket. Yeah, pretty cool. And so each week they're doing sort of a different, I don't know, rule set. Like it was. It's like stipulations. It's really yeah. Neat. It's like yeah. So it's not always it's not always limited. It's usually constructed. They'll be like mm-hmm. uh, I think next this week is tribal themed. Yeah, and the players draft the tribes, so they go in reverse order for like who is last in the standings, and they get to choose their first tribe. Nice. It's really exciting. I think uh, last week was Innistrad blocks combined so yeah. it was constructed but you had to, you could use cards from the original Innistrad and then shadows over Innistrad yeah and then yeah the two sets after that of Avacyn Restored and, and Dark Ascension, Dark Ascension. Yeah. yeah which is really awesome Kenji built a uh, deck using that eight green green card where you get to put every permanent onto the battlefield essentially it's a sorcery it's really nutty I know that Marshall of course did the spot spider spawning yep, yep. Um, and I think was it Wedge and uh, Magic the Amateuring that did? They both did like blue red spells thing in the ice decks. Yeah, yeah, they did. And uh, uh, someone built, I think Gabby built Triskaidekaphobia. Oh yeah, I didn't mention Gabby, but Gabby Sparks is also on on the Community Super League. Anyway, really cool on Thursday nights. Again, go on over to Twitch.tv/slash/Magic. Check that out. It is it's a good watch. And also the way that it works is that. Um, Two people, I guess two groups will play because some are not single people. Like Loading Ready Run is a group and right. MTA play as a and Girlfriend Bracket is a group. And so what will happen is they'll play against each other. And then those those two people or those two groups that played will actually commentate during the following match. And then whatever that match is, those people will commentate the next match and so on and so forth. So you get a nice like gameplay, but also like really entertaining stuff from... yeah community members who are you know funny and entertaining so it's great. also uh jeffrey palmer who did the animations for our channel did the opening credits oh for the show. it's so awesome they're the op- very funny the opening credits for community super league that's worth tuning in all by itself yeah <laughs> just it's, to see that it's pretty awesome marshall as the stoic builder is my favorite by far <laughs> it's pretty great i like actually like the mta girls as the twins of Mara's oh State. yeah that's perfect yeah it's perfect um oh other cool things speaking of wedge from the manasaurus uh you want to talk about this yeah, so Wedge is doing a charity drive. He does this every year for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. And it actually began... By the time you're hearing this, he's already doing it. So the best way to go is to go follow Wedge at the Source on Twitter. And then he's going to be announcing when he's on Twitch and when he's doing the charity drive. But he's going to be doing it you know, every day or every few days until the end of May. And they're basically auctioning off a lot of items that are donated by the community. Uh to raise money for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. It's a yeah. really, I mean, listen, it's sick kids. Like, you can't think of a better cause to support yep. than this one. And you could potentially win really cool stuff, too. Yeah, that's the great thing about it. You can support a really good cause and still get some stuff. Get some um, some magic paraphernalia or some sealed product. Uh, I know Jimmy and I both sent some things in uh, to be donated. You sent some awesome stuff, and you sent some commander product. Very yeah. exciting. So... I would really, really encourage you to go follow Wedge, you know, find out when those streams are, participate, support this cause. You know, like I said, St. Jude's Children's Hospital. I mean, it's sick kids. Yeah, it, there's no reason not to check it out and to at least toss a couple dollars their way. It's all tax deductible, just so you know. Um, a shout out to the professor as well. He has a new feature on his website. It's really cool. TelerianCommunityCollege.com. It's called The Report Card. And it is a PDF file with 14 pages currently, and it shows and it categorizes everything that he's ever done a grade on, and it grades them, shows them their grades from A all the way to fail 
or non-applicable, and then you can actually click every single one of them, and it'll bring you exactly to the point in his video when he talks about it, which is, this is like the God resource. I've always wanted this every time. I'm like, I wonder what the professor thinks about this, but I have to search through a video, but now I have this. So we'll put that link in the description below, but yeah, really cool. Um, and his Patreon, I think, is a big reason that this sort of thing got made, which is awesome. Yeah, really sweet. If you're thinking about buying literally any item that has to do with magic cards, any any binder, any box, any product at all, he's probably reviewed it. And Prof's reviews, I take as like God-spoken truth. <laughs> like I won't buy anything anymore unless the professor has given it like at least a B plus. Yeah. Because he puts it through its paces. He doesn't just like grab it, look at it, and then give it a grade. He actually like uses it for a few weeks. Yeah. Like I've seen his process. He shakes the crap out of it. <laughs> you can, too. Like he puts it in his bag and he takes it to the LGS and he actually plays. You know, it's not like he just grabbed it and really gave it a cursory examination. This mm -hmm. guy like truly, truly, truly tests the product. And so you can trust his evaluation. Um, yeah. Anytime I'm buying anything, I have to, if the prof hasn't reviewed it, then I just got to wait till he reviews it because it's not worth it. Yeah, very true. So that that resource is really great, is just having all the grades. Because you're right. There's been times where I'm like, I need a new deck box. This one looks cool. What does the prof think of it? Okay, how do I find that? Because yeah. I can, I'm can. i not going to go back and watch every video. He's got 15 of reviews of just deck boxes alone of videos, and they're all eight minutes long. But now you can just click on the link, and it'll immediately take you there, which is cool. Pretty awesome. Speaking of prof, he's crashing on my couch next week. Your couch? Well, it I'm might be. the professor... On a couch? Okay. He runs a school. That is a figure of speech. <laughs> he, I don't know, actually, at where in my house that he's crashing, because James from Loading Ready Run will also be there. Yeah. Um, we both have, because <laughs> I have got, Kenji yeah. and Frank Lepore are yeah. both coming to sleep. So our place. couches are going to be pretty full. I mean, you know, Prof and James may be cuddling a little bit. No, I've, got enough. I've got enough room. Don't worry if you guys are listening. Um, but that's for GPLA. Yeah, Grand Prix LA. So if you're coming to Grand Prix at Los Angeles... Uh, when you're listening to this, it'll just be a few days from now. Yep. It's going to be May 20, 21st, and 22nd. So that's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Jimmy, I'm not going to speak for you, but I'll be there all three days. Yeah, I'm going to be there for the second half of Friday, I believe. It just depends on if I can get work out. And then uh, Sunday, Saturday and Sunday, I will be there uh, hopefully the whole day. Yeah, that's my plan. Um, I'm not playing in the main event. Are you? No. I, I decided don't. against it after after you decidedly said, I don't need to play in the main event. I was like, wait. I don't need to play in the main event. I'm going to get crushed. <laughs> yeah, it'll be no fun. And There's so many cool things that are going on the side of the Grand Prix. It's just a huge collection of Magic players. You can do anything you want. And a big reason I don't want to play in the main event is because I want to be able to have a lot of free time to play EDH with our listeners. So if you're going to be at Grand Prix Los Angeles, there's three Twitter handles you need to follow. And listen, I know a lot of people are anti-Twitter or whatever, which I totally do get. I'm just saying create a Twitter account for three days and then you can delete it and or never look at it again. But yeah, true. during these three days, that'll allow you to find us, find where we're at, get some EDH games in with us. It's really the best way. So yeah. you follow at CommandCast, at JF Wong, or at Josh Lee Kwai. Actually follow all three and we'll be tweeting out like, hey, we're at this table number. If you want to play EDH, just come find us. So if you're on the site, you'll be able to find us. Get some games in. Yeah. Uh, we've done this at many GPs. It works great. We usually get pretty big groups together, and that means you can find a lot of EDH games. So if you're at the Grand Prix and you're not playing in the main event like we are, or if you're just you're done, like you scrubbed out, or what whatever the reason is you've got time and you want to play an EDH game, we're going to be your guys. Yep. 
Uh, and one small word of caution. It is a big event. There are a lot of people milling around, and a lot of people bring a lot of valuable things with them, so there will also be a number of people looking to be thieves. So just keep a hold of your bag. Make sure it's never out of sight. Put it in your lap. These are our collections. These are our babies. It's a big event. We'd like to all have fun, and especially you know when you're really having fun or into it, you can sort of forget your surroundings, and that's a... Uh, that's when terror strikes. Yeah, I think a, a good piece of advice too is, especially if you're going for multiple days, like you don't have to bring all your stuff every yeah. day. Like I'm just gonna, I I have like 22 EDH decks. I'm not bringing 22 EDH decks. <laughs> it's just too hard to watch that amount of stuff. I'm gonna bring like a smaller bag that just has three or four decks each day, mm-hmm. and then I can bring a different three or four decks Saturday and Sunday. I know it's like, oh, I want to have all my decks on me, but it's a lot easier to watch a smaller amount of stuff. So yeah. just keep that in mind. Um, it's good advice. Yep. Uh, and one final thing before we get into our main topic is that we are coming after GPLA. It's going to be a great week because we're going to release our episode a day late because we have spoilers for Eternal Masters. You guys heard it here first. That's right. Spoilers. Yeah, two. We're going to spoil two cards for Eternal Masters. It is super exciting. Uh, Josh and I have both seen them. They're sweet. They're sweet. You're going to love it. It's guaranteed you're going to love it. Um, so I'm very, 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 very excited. So the episode will be coming out May 25th, which is a Wednesday. That's next week's episode. Yep, one day late, but it's totally worth it because we yeah. got spoilers. So exciting. Pretty stoked. All right. Well, speaking of bringing your cards places and organizing them, that is the main topic for today. It's going to be a fun one. We're just talking about organization, organization 101. Um, I don't know about you guys, but after years of playing Magic, even just like a month of playing Magic, you're going to have stacks of cards everywhere. Uh, I hate this part of it. There's nothing you can do about it. It's a good thing. I remember, I mean, as a kid, I would be stoked, right? Be like, look at all these cards. <laughs> as an adult, I'm like, look at all these cards I don't want to use. Well, and Which where ones can I are put good? them? Where Why are I they put... covering everything? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, where did I put that one thing, actually? Oh, that's the worst. So recently, our editor, Terry, uh, posted pictures of all the boxes he brought from, because uh, he's out in L.A. now. I finally met him. Terry, you're the best. Uh, and about his boxes needing to be organized. Josh, you recently tweeted something. I was like, oh, man, first world problems to the max right here. <laughs> I'm so lazy. So I'm building that. We talked about it uh, a few episodes ago, that f- uh, five-color lands. Oh, sweet. Deck with Gitrog and, oh, yes. and Omnath and yeah. Titanium and all that. Um, so I was, I was putting that deck list together and ordering a bunch of the cards, and I realized something I do, like, constantly is I ha- I'll, I'll be like, this card needs to be in the deck, and I'm like, I know I own that card. I know I own quite a few of those cards. I have no idea where that is. Screw it. I'm just going to buy it. Yeah. It's like, I'm just going to go down a buck instead of spend an hour or however long it is to find the card. But Um, the thing is, you do that mm, 20, 30 times. (laughs) So now you spent, and and, you know, I'll do that down to like three bucks. So maybe I spent like 80 or $90 more than I should have because I'm too lazy to spend. Well, the funny thing is that usually those are the cards like, it's like, oh, solemn similar. I was like, I I could always use another one of those. Yeah, no, I know I have one somewhere, but yeah, I just got whatever. I'll get another one. Who cares? Like the other one's going in the deck eventually. Right. Yeah. So I do that all all the the rationalization. Yeah. You find ways to rationalize it, but organization is a huge part of having any kind of magic collection or just anything in general. Organization is like a good life skill to have. The only problem is it just it's a monumental task sometimes, and it seems like it's just like super overwhelming thing that you just don't want to deal with, and you avoid it for good reason because you have you know I would rather play cards and organize them. I mean, full disclosure, I'm horrible at this. <laughs> I am bad at it. I am. Oh, I like barely keep myself afloat. Is how I see it. 
I'm not. I don't like a ton of clutter, so I. It's not cluttered. It's just not organized. I'm right. just. I'm just the classic. Like I don't know. Take all this, throw it in a BCW box, put it in the corner, and so yeah. my corner is actually stacked with like 20 BCW boxes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I have no idea which box uh, has Amiria Shepherd in it. One of them does. It's one of them does, but I'm not going to open all 20 and rifle through all the cards. That's true. You know, maybe. Maybe you can. I don't know. Twenties actually on the really low end. I bet it's closer to fifty. BCW boxes. It's just crazy. I haven't seen this part of your house. We've all seen the other part of your house that is very nicely organized and is all sealed. Yeah, exactly. You know what's in there? I know what's in there. <laughs> That's really. Funny. I hide the other part from people because you know I want my house <laughs> to look nice. Yeah, so we're just going to break down. Uh, I'm going to break down how I organize stuff and how Josh doesn't, of course. <laughs> uh, this episode, just some tips and tricks about. I don't know, keeping your magic collection together because it, it, at the end of the day, it is worth it, obviously. Like, not everyone has as expendable of an income as being able to... I mean, like, f- for me, $2 when I was 15 was a big deal. Now that I'm 29, it's like, whatever. My lunch cost me 20 But, I mean, you, <laughs> you know, know, we there's a lot of people, and, and myself included, like, I don't have unlimited money to spend on magic. So every couple bucks that you can save and being organized does save you money. Now, it's right. cost-benefit analysis, like... It's like you said, do you want to spend that time searching through all your stuff or can you can you not afford to? But if if you're worried about the cost of magic and a lot of people are and I totally get it because it's super expensive, yeah. then organizing your stuff is a really good way to bring the cost down. It doesn't seem like it would be, but it totally is. Yeah, right, because you spent you know, an extra 50 bucks on something that could have been a Karn Liberated. Yeah. It could have been an Oracle of Malta. You know, it could have been any other thing outside of, I don't know, a few lands that you already have a, have a bunch <laughs> of or whatever. But it's a land, actually. I, I'm justifying it. Um, so the big thing, we're going to start this off with just where to start. Um, and I, I think this is actually where most quests to organize your, your stuff ends actually is you're like, I'm going to do it. And then you look at it and you're like, I'm not going to organize (laughs) anything. You pick up like one stack of cards and you start to look through it and you're like, Oh, this is going to take forever. Yeah. Screw it. I'm putting that stack of cards right back on top of the dresser, and I'm watching TV. Yep, exactly. The thing is, it's like you got to set aside some time. That At the end of the day, you need to realize that to organize cards, you're going to have to put time aside. I know some people that will watch TV shows and do it at the same time or, or just like find another way to distract themselves so that they're not only sitting there staring at cards because mm-hmm. I'm sure Jason Nall or any of the finance guys can tell you that by collections, it must be a very tiring process. I mean, this guy take a long time. I know they've talked about it before. It takes a long, long time to just go through the collection you bought and yeah. sort it. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you ride a Harley motorcycle. Because <laughs> how are you going to transport cards on a motorcycle? Seriously. That's not possible. Um, so it's a mundane task. I, I think in general the organization will be worth it. Um, the first thing you're going to need to do if you have a lot of cards is find a large empty space, a table. You obviously shouldn't do this on a cluttered space because you're just going to be more cluttered. Um, and for me, find every card that needs to get organized at the same time. Cause I've done this before where I'll sit down, spend a half hour organizing stuff. You're like, whew, did it turn around the corner. Boom. Just like a pile of cards saying they're <laughs> staring at you. You're like, Oh God, <laughs> I could have. And then you just don't do that for another three months. More cards pile up. Get all your cards, collate them into one place. Um, oftentimes they'll be in different places and have different, I guess, I don't know, lives to them. Like these are the cards I took out of decks. These are the cards I took from draft that I thought yes. I would use. Oh, this is I These totally are the cards this. from like whatever, the chaos draft we did six months ago. Um, these are these random bulk of commons and uncommons. I mean, They're do everywhere. you. I do one thing where I always take the rares and mythics and set them sort of in a different place than the commons and uncommons. So at the very least, 
I sort of have a slight system. Like all my BCW yeah. boxes, those I was lying. Amir Shepard can't be in there. I don't. That stack of right. is only commons and uncommons. My rares are kept in an. Usually in the I use the fat pack boxes. Yep. And so those I put the rares in there. So I know if I open a fat pack box, I don't necessarily know what set, but at least I know those are where the rares are. And then the commons and uncommons are in the BCW box. If you were ever an eBay seller, you should just list those fat pack boxes and be like, I have no idea what's in here, but I know they're all rare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm too scared. There's probably really good stuff in there. You're so scared that you don't even want to look through it. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. Duh. Okay. You can't um, uh, this also includes like cards I took out of my binders when I trade stuff. So basically, get all your cards in one place, and then here's the most important meat of the story, which is like the organization method. Mm-hmm. So this is different for everyone. Obviously, each collection is very different in terms of how big it is, the density of ca- the kinds of cards you have, and how you collect cards. And the big thing is that you just really need to always make sure you organize to your own personal needs as a player. And yeah, a collector. I, I like this. You have written down like, what are my goals? Are they to trade to build decks? Am I trying to collect like build full sets or something am i trying to show off what i've got yeah it's really interesting that that will sort of help you determine how you organize it yeah and i totally i i think that's totally correct like if you're going to be trading stuff then you need to organize sort of according to like what's valuable yeah and not just that if are you a just a standard player because then the way you organize your cards is going to be very different you yeah know, and you, you go to, to the you... store just to get standard cards you're not going to put an edh binder out there yeah and you need to understand how rotation works probably mm-hmm. and like i do have a binder where i keep like all the standard stuff yeah in which it fluctuates a little but like you know sylvan advocates and all the current planeswalkers and you know world breaker and yeah you know that kind of reflector mage i have a whole like just place i keep them because i know they're played in standard and I I do organize the binder in such a way that like I sort of move stuff forward mm-hmm. as it goes, and so you know the, when rotation comes, all that stuff comes out. Yeah, and the then, upkeep is definitely a lot more for anything that for rotates. Standard, yeah, the nice thing about EDH players like us is that the cards you put in binders in general are never going unless they just get straight banned. But then it's just one card, and like I had to go in and take profit of crew fixes out of binders. So sad. It was sad. So and so decks. Yeah, that was actually now I I know for a fact in my house I have just a pile of like five profits, yeah. a couple foil just sitting somewhere and I I don't know what to do with them. I mean, I'm keeping them somewhere just just in the hopes that someday that it comes it, that it, she comes back to life. Yeah, you never um, know. I I have a, a couple binders for EDH and yeah, those are way easier because you don't have to rotate them. Yeah. And it's just I don't even worry about value or anything. It's just cards that I think are good in EDH. Yeah, and that's actually a really big point, too, because if you're not going to go actively trade those cards, then you're building a binder so that you can go back and reference and find the cards you want later. Like, one thing that I do because I have my them organized in the color is I'll be like, I'm building this deck. I'm going to take out the colors that this deck is, look through, see if there's anything that matches or whatever, and that yeah. way, before I go and put things on the buy list, I'll make sure that I don't double buy stuff, but it still happens all the time regardless. I actually have, like, a binder. It's not a whole one. About half of one binder is just all legendary creatures. Oh, nice. So, yeah, yeah it's just like, oh. And, and that way also, like, if I'm just like, I feel like maybe building a deck or thinking about it, I can just start flipping through and looking at what legendary creatures I have. And then right. a lot of times I'm like, oh, I could build this one. And then that's actually a really good start, too. I think a big part of organization is finding ways to make the giant mountain of work feasible to yourself. Um, and it's not actually that bad if you figure out a system. Like, creating a system is a really important thing. It's the same way, like, as Magic players, you want to find the best line in terms of trying to win a game. 
Right. Like this is you're trying to find the best line of taking the giant stack of cards and reducing it to none and putting them in the right place. Well, I'm interested to hear this because I'm bad, at, really bad at this part of it. Well, I have a thesis. Okay. Josh. Let's My, see. Jimmy's system. Here we go. The more often you access something, the better it needs to be organized. That's basically it. So the more you need access to something, you should just have it in a better, more convenient, accessible place. Uh-huh. So for me, I am a trader, I am a collector, and I am a deck builder. I'm not a standard player. I'm not really a modern player. I'm not a legacy or vintage player. So I don't need to worry about those things. So those are the things I am. So I open product pretty frequently. We'll crack boxes. We'll do sealed. We'll draft all the time. And I very often have no use for a lot of the commons and uncommons and the mm-hmm. quote-unquote draft chaff. So like penny rares, rares that... Are, are very underpowered but good and limited sort of things. And so I tier the cards similarly to the rarity system in Magic, where a mythic isn't necessarily mythic. So like a card like Disciple of the Ring, which was an origin, just like a really sweet mythic card that does a lot of stuff, is not actually a mythic mythic. Like I would rate the Oracle of Maldaya as a much better card, right. even though it's like a lower rarity or whatever. Um, so because we're EDH players, my evaluation of cards is very different than like a standard modern player. Um, so I have the clears, the tiers are like collectors items or like the play sets that are not for trade stuff that is EDH playable. That I want to put in my decks. This sort of meshes with the collector stuff too, depending on the card stuff that is very hit or miss. So cards that potentially could see play someday, but you just don't know. Mm-hmm. But it seems like you're looking at it and you're like, if a commander comes out that like really benefits this card, then awesome. So a good comparison is like Grenzo dungeon warden mm-hmm. cares about the bottom card of your library. There's like cards that put cards on the bottom of your library, but you'd never play otherwise really. Um, and then after that, there's the tier of just straight junk. So I have in total eight Ultra Pro binders and one, uh, two of those Deck Tutor four binders, mm-hmm. uh, which are really sweet, to house everything. Um, the eight Ultra Pro binders are white, blue, black, red, green, multicolored artifacts, and land. So that's every color, multicolored as well, and then two for quote-unquote colorless things like lands and artifacts. And originally, I would just put cards in the binder and just be like, oh, whatever, this is all white. I'll put it all in there. And after a while, like, you would, you know, run out of pages, and you're like, oh, I want to put a creature where the rest of the creatures are. And too often the pages would just fill up, so I started buying more binders, and eventually, so now all those binders I have aren't even close to full. Most of them are, like, 40 to 50% full. Because you always want a spot to put when you get a new thing. That's, yeah, exactly. That's how mine are, too. So I'll have, like, five pages for creatures because they're the most common sort of card you're going to put in there. And then go flip two pages over, and then you have three pages of instants and sorceries, and then like another thing for enchantments. And you leave blank pages or blank spaces. You leave blank pages in between. And I try and just separate it based, like, for instance, blue has a lot more space for instants and sorceries than creatures necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so this might not be the case for you guys. Some collections might just need one binder for all five of your colors. That's how I started originally. Um, and then as soon as I started running out of space, I expanded to two binders for two colors, you know, or one binder for two colors. And then after that, I was like, okay, one binder per color. Um, and the way I organize each binder is I put all the legendary creatures in that color first because someone that plays EDH would flip it and be like, oh, this is like, right. you know, this is, how I, this is how I started the deck. And you put the creatures, instant sorceries, and enchantments. Uh, and so my deck tutor four binder, like the very collector's one is where I put expeditions fetch land stuff that in general that i will play in decks but i'd never want to trade away because i just there's too much value in them um it's definitely my not for trade binder Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i have one that's sort of like that and it's mostly like the foil binder and it starts out with all the foil basic lands then it's expeditions then it's all the other sort of foil lands and then it's just any other like foil planeswalker or anything that's foil 
that I'll probably want to put in a deck someday. Yeah. But that I wouldn't say that that's necessarily not for trade for me, but I'm sort of in – I'd be willing to trade anything. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's also like trading is a tough thing to do. It requires you to sit down and really walk through I stuff. I mean, I don't trade very often. I'm just yeah. saying that I would trade that stuff, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, so – I also have multiple BCW boxes, like you said, these sort of like 2,000 count boxes that I've gotten from GPs or just buy from places. Those are the best. I just go on Amazon and I'll just order oh, like yeah. 30 at a time. They're amazing. That's a great way to store your cards without having to worry about like them tipping over, you know, and stuff. And, and in here, I put the hit or miss category of cards. So they're most often commons and uncommons and junk rares, sort of like the cards that are, in my mind, potentially playable someday, but they don't really, I guess, deserve a spot in a binder. It's kind of sad. It's actually kind of... Uh, there are the Island of Lost Toys or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, those poor things. Those poor, poor things. I do want to do, I, I told you this once, but I want to do a Kitchen Table Fables about the Island of Lost Yeah, cards. The, the poor cards that never seen you play. Yeah, they're just like hiding in the dark constantly. <laughs> um, and those cards are all just loosely organized by color. So all the same, it's the same organization as my uh, Ultra Pro Binders, but they're not like creature, artifact, whatever. They're not very specifically organized. Um, the way- I, do, I do BCW boxes by set. Oh, that's and that, smart. Like I said, I know they're all commons and uncommons because I don't keep rares in the BCW boxes. And then the great thing about BCW boxes is boxes are cheap, so you just write on the side. Yeah. So I have like a huge – I open so much Battle for Zendikar that I probably have like 10 boxes that just say BFZ on them. So yeah. if I ever want a common or uncommon from Battle for Zendikar, then I know those are the boxes that are going to have it. And, you know, they all hold 800 to 1,000 cards, so – if I want any given uncommon, I only probably need one for my ADH deck. It's not that hard to just open one box, rifle through it until you find the one. Yeah, exactly. The The part where it comes into a problem is if suddenly like a common or uncommon from that set becomes worth a lot of money and you actually want to go grab them and try and sell them on a buy list or something, yeah. then you got to go through all the boxes. Did, I used to do a thing where I would literally, when I wasn't opening as much product, I would literally like organize it by color then i would take it and put all the same cards together and then i would alphabetize and everything so some like like when i very first started came back to the game it was around the end of innistrad um oh yeah so my early bcw box with that stuff is like meticulous it's like all the black cards are together and all the black cards are are alphabetical but if i think if you try to do that for every set all the time what will happen is what happened to me which is like You'll go crazy. You just won't do it, and then it'll just start to stack up, and you'll eventually just be like, screw it, just put it all in boxes. That's and actually label a, them. a very good point, is that if you create too rigorous of a system for yourself, you're going to find it hard to keep up with it as your life changes and as you you know just get busier or whatever, you know, or do anything else in life. The system that you had a bunch of time for in like high school or in college, all of a sudden, eh, it's not going to work out anymore for you. Yeah, and then you just don't do anything because you can't do your perfect system. And so yeah. it's better to just have a more lenient system, I think. I was definitely that way when I was a bit younger. When I first started playing collectible card games, I was very anal about every single thing. Alphabetizing them, putting all the same cards together. Cards that were worth like one cent. Yeah. Or not even that. But I still had to organize all of them. And like I made little plastic dividers and stuff. And... It definitely, I've definitely slackened over the years. So now I just group stuff by bigger groupings. And it's worked out way better because it takes a lot of the stress off of your own brain and stuff. Um, so the way that I organize is knowing that I have a destination in mind for a card makes it a lot easier. And now that I have these homes for them, I have the colored binders, I have the BCW boxes, and I have like a collector's binder. So I know that when I take every card, I set them all aside first into Wooberg, so the different colors, and then my multicolored artifacts are land, so I have eight piles. 
and then they go through each pile separately and I separate them into their different tiers. So like you're going in the collector's binder, you're going in the, the regular thing, you're going in the BCW box. And then they'll go through and take those piles and sort them into their homes and do them all at the same time. So I'll just take like all the BCW things, toss them in the box together. And then that's usually the biggest pile. And it's really satisfying. You just chuck it in there and you're done. And then you go and you're like, I'm going to do all of the, ins- all of the stuff in the binders. And you do that and you sort those by creatures, instant sorcerers, whatever. And eventually it's all gone. It's all, all the clutter is gone. It takes a little bit of time. You've watched like two shows on Netflix. And then uh, sometimes you'll even have like the stuff that you just don't ever want to use. And then that's great because you can just donate it. I love this part because I, I do this quite a bit, which is actually, you know, like if I've got 10 boxes of Battle for Zendikar commons and uncommons, I'll probably take at least half of them and just Boys and Girls Club. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's great. The, the kids there are going to learn to play magic for one thing, and they're going to have a whole bunch of free cards to do it with. And make sure you put lands in there too, because it's really hard to play without lands. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. just And lands don't cost, you know, you don't need the lands either. So, yeah. Yeah. I would really encourage people to do that because you're also growing the community when you do it. Like, mm-hmm. if a few kids just learn to play from that, and then later on in life, like, they're going to know how to play magic, and that's going to be great for them. And it's yeah. a good way to make friends. And, Magic is also a really good teaching tool for kids. Like, you learn about math and problem solving and stuff. So And really cool words. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you have to learn to read to play it, right? Yeah. And you need to learn complicated math. And you need to learn how, like, it's not like, it's it's like story problems, you know? Right. So it's, it's complicated uh, problem solving. It's all good. Please donate to the Boys and Girls Club, all your commons and uncommons. You know, keep a certain amount for sure. But, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need... 32 confront the unknowns you just don't what if you want to make 32 clues <laughs> <laughs> so just you know keep eight of them and then or, or whatever you yeah know, but, and give away the rest yeah that's the thing is like a lot of local gaming stores will have places to put the cards to mm-hmm. uh, one of the places we go has a kids league mm-hmm. and like it's great i obviously they have a small allowance or they don't really have the ability to buy cards that we may you know we have an income we have a check that comes every month they have their moms giving them or their dad's giving them five bucks right. to go buy a soda and a sandwich or a rare or one booster pack. I mean, so like, shoot, there's a lot of kids don't even have that. They yeah, don't know where exactly. they're going to get the money for food. So Yeah. So yeah. donating is one of the best parts about Magic is that these cards, it's better than just chucking them in the trash, right? They can be used somewhere. And also, if you're an enterprising person, you can make a cube out of your commons and uncommons. I know people that make draft sets out of every single set. I know actually a lot of people that are going to do it for Shadows of Renishra because it's a really fun draft set. So mm-hmm. they'll take those cards or they'll take their friends' cards, repurpose them, put them into their own sort of like draft thing so that anytime you want to draft the set, now you, this person has that essentially. So there's lots of different things to do with your cards. Just don't throw them away because they're beautiful and they smell nice. <laughs> um, let's talk about playing elsewhere. So this is sort of not really organization related, but it is still organization because it's about transporting your EDH decks. We were just talking about this in GPLA. There is a lot of theft and it's not really wise to bring just a ton of stuff around. Like don't go into a tournament or a store with like three backpacks of everything you own. Um, I honestly don't, I know a lot of people do, and I'm not saying don't do it. I don't even like to, like, if I'm going to go play in the GP, I don't even like to bring, like, trade binders. Oh, no, I don't either. Yeah. Unless I, I'm very specifically looking to trade. Yeah, I will bring those when I'm looking to trade. But, like, with if my goal is to, like, play in this pre-TQ, yeah. then I'm not, uh, then trading is not my goal that day. I just won't bring that stuff because yeah. it's too hard to pay really close attention to the game and watch your stuff. Yeah, even if you have it, like, looped around your leg or whatever, it's just another thing that you need to carry around that's extra weight. 
Um, a GP is nice, though, because you can bring cards. I, I would advise if you're going to bring cards to sell at the GP, which is what a lot of people do, or even your, your local game store, don't bring them in binders. You can take them out of the binder, put them into like a small deck box, and that's a lot easier to carry around, and you're going to know that you're going to want to sell those cards. And I think that's worth the hassle if you don't have want to carry a backpack around, which is taking that out. And then any cards you don't sell, you just put back into the binders. I'd also say, like in my experience, thieves are way more likely to grab a binder. Yes. Because they know that's where the good stuff is. And they're way less likely to grab like a random deck box. Not that that will never happen. Um, I'm just in. We've had friends uh, who've had things stolen at GPs. I've had stuff taken. And it's very often it's a binder. Yeah, it just makes the most sense. It's like, hey, would a pirate take a pirate a tre- chest? chest? Yeah, or, or a barrel. They, or like a barrel, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, yeah. Chest or barrel. Uh, so don't let them take your chest. Um, <laughs> and also, like, it, we're not saying the world is filled with thieves or whatever, but there is, you just got to be careful. It's like, it's in a lot of ways, every time you play a card, it may as well have Benjamin Franklin's face on some of them. You know, like, people that know the and understand the value of cards will definitely, you know, they'll target you if you're not careful. So you just... Be aware of your surroundings. Make it easier on yourself in general. Um, so when you don't want to bring a ton of your decks, you, there are other ways of doing it. So you can bring decks individually. So you can use a deck box, like you have Wormwood deck boxes, Ultra Pro, Ultimate Guard. These all are all are companies that make deck boxes to bring specifically EDH decks or to bring your draft sets, any of that stuff. Um, and then there's you could alternatively alternatively bring decks as a group so some people use like holiday gift boxes to bring a bunch of decks in some people have the pirate lab case or cube cases i'd say there are pros and cons to both i like having an individual deck and an individual thing because you know what deck is in there Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes i'll open up i have a cube vault case i'll open it up and i'll look at it and i'll go i have no idea half these sleeves are the same color i can't see the commanders for any of them I think I want to play this one. So I do like having the individual decks in their own thing. And I know that some people go as far as having like custom boxes for individual decks based on the commander and stuff. So there's a lot more personalization for that. Yeah, I like the pirate. I have a pirate lab um, case. And within it, it's sort of a square, I guess, bag because it does have a strap. Mm-hmm. But within it is a foam insert. And then that insert can hold actually deck boxes. So you can actually hold like nine or 10 EDH decks in there, in their deck boxes. Mm-hmm. So that works good for me, but it's self-contained. You zip it up and it's easy to carry. Uh, so I can, I can bring that amount of decks. I don't usually bring that amount to a GP. Yeah. Um, I will want like some sleeves and, uh, and maybe dice. some basic lands and some dice because I might draft if I'm at a GP and then I just don't want to have that much stuff on me, but it is all contained in one bag. Yeah. That's, that's fairly small. It's, you know, maybe like, uh, a foot and a half by a foot and a half or so. Yeah, so, that's really nice. You kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah. Because my cards are sometimes flimming and flaming all over the place, sliding around the deck box because they're not secured into one thing. Um, so let's talk about some of our favorite products, actually, sort of like our must-have items. We're going to we're gonna play Professor here? Yeah, we are going to become... I mean, this would have been an awesome episode for the Professor to be on, but we'll see him in a week, and maybe he'll listen and tell us how we did. I hope this podcast has been of some use to you. Yes. I don't know what his other catchphrases are. <laughs> I watch all his videos. I should know. You should know. Many Magic the Gathering players ask the question. <laughs> there. Got it. Nailed it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That was a good impression. Um, so let's talk about what our favorite Magic products are. Okay. Uh, 
KMC Hypermat sleeve slash perfect fits. I don't think there's a better sleeve on the market. I think Dragon Shield makes some matte sleeves that may come close. But for me, I have sleeved up every single one of my commander decks in KMC Hypermats. They're easy to shuffle. They don't slide around all the place. They get worn in really easily, and they, they stay. They don't tear. Yeah, um, Hypermats are sort of the gold standard, I believe. Um, the Dragon Shields are good if you don't double sleeve, which I don't. Mm-hmm. And so I have a couple decks in those. And I have a couple decks in, like, old sleeves because – when you yeah, have a yeah. lot of decks, you just don't go. You don't wear them out very fast. Yeah. Um, but KMC is definitely the best. The hypermats. Yeah, and they've gone down and down and down in price because they've gotten bigger, and so Amazon now carries them. Uh, you, you can, can find th- bulk rates on like a whole bunch. And yeah, exactly. A good thing to do is to get like all of one color. Yeah. And that way, when you switch out cards or you put them in your binder, take them out of your binder, like if all your decks are one color and i don't follow this advice but i don't I, either but i, but should I started have. to yeah and so now on all my new decks it's like that but my old decks you know i have 12 or 13 decks that are in the old colors different yeah. colors and i'll slowly get there but it does make organization a lot easier because every time you grab a card you don't have to re-sleeve it and find the sleeve of that color for that deck it, yep. it definitely yep. will speed things up for you yeah i we, i think we both did the thing where we're like oh my red deck can have red sleeves <laughs> it seems my, like an awesome idea it's like, oh how cute i'm getting now yeah. and then uh you just run into a big headache yeah later on that. down the road you're just like where's a red sleeve holy yeah. cow i don't even have an extra one one tour and now yeah. but if you buy all red sleeves then any time one of your sleeves tears, you've got them because you, you that's them. all you have. Yeah. But now, like if when one when yeah when I have a deck and like a certain number of green sleeves tear, then I have to resleeve the entire deck to the new color <laughs> because I'm not you know what I mean. You just don't have enough. Yeah, yeah. It's also kind of poopy that uh, the only thing that is the downside for KMC is that they sell in packs of eighty, uh, which sucks because we have a hundred card commander decks. It's great for eighty for like you know a standard deck plus a fifteen card sideboard. So you have uh, 75 card yeah. sleeve and then five extra in case anything tears but for us you have to like buy two sets of it so it's even more incentive to just buy all the same color yeah if you buy five sets that's 400 so that hey, works yeah, yeah exactly um and like if you misplace one sleeve then it's poopy but now you have extras and they're all the same color you don't need to worry about it yep um i use the ultimate guard flip and trade 200 plus Ultimate Guard makes awesome stuff, and this is, like, my favorite travel thing. You can take 200-card double-sleeved uh, cards, a uh, decks in there, and it has this whole area for dice as well. It's, like, this self-contained unit. It's The magnetic claps are great. It's Everything is there, and I can bring it wherever I want. And I know if, like, I only need to bring two decks. I have this thing. Perfect. Yeah, that is really nice. Yeah, exactly. Because often, eh, even if you're going to Commander Night, you don't need a lot more than two. Maybe you want you two. May not even Maybe get you want two. four. Yeah, but you don't need more than that. I mean, how often do you really play more than four commander games in a night? Not very often at all. I mean, you have not to have... Even ha- not everyone even has four commander decks, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, it depends. I mean, if your play group's fast. We were playing the other night, and it was me, you, Josh Kim, and Vinny. And yeah. I think we got four games in in, like, two hours. But that's, yeah. like, everyone to be playing fast, you know? And that was it. We were done. We went and we ate. Yeah, that was actually great. Um, <laughs> and the last thing that I really liked is the Monster Protector Playmat Tube. It's actually a triangle. So it's like a triangle tube because it doesn't roll away. And it is only openable on one side. A lot of those Ultra Pro ones can open on both sides. And Those Ultra Pro ones are crap. Don't buy those. They're yeah. super flimsy, too. And they roll away. Yeah. You put it on the table, you look over, it's gone. It wasn't a thief. It was just Newton. 
yeah, the the those playmat ones are just worthless. Yeah. Uh, so I really like the triangle tube for Monster Protector. And like, by the way, you can get every single one of these things on Amazon. It's Amazon Exchange World. It's great. Yeah, you can get them on like Cool Stuff Inc. Yeah. Uh, usually like Card Kingdom, Channel Fiber, all of them have it. But yeah, if you're an Amazon Prime member, like I am, you can get it the next day. This is the best. <laughs> Uh, like I said, Pirate Lab, I really like their stuff. Um, the binders I really like are the Ultimate Guard zip folios. They zip up, right? Yeah, they zip up on all sides, which is great because they're really um, – they can't open. And it makes mm-hmm. them a little more compact, and they just feel a little more rigid. So, yeah, totally. Yeah, it feels a lot safer. And also, it, you know, after you've had a binder for a while, some of the some of the little uh, pockets will get a little loose, and so a card may slip out of there. At least yeah. it won't fall out of your binder when you're, like, moving it around. Because that's the worst. I've seen it happen to people where, like, they walk away and a card's on the floor. And you're like, hey, dude, this yeah. card fell out of your binder. And it's like, it's a foil Elish Norn. You don't want to <laughs> lose that, pal. You know, yeah, and you're going to want this. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen that happen for sure to many times. So the zipping uh, binder is really great. Yeah, especially uh, if you're going to be uh, carrying it around to places. Yeah. Um, BCW, I'm a huge fan of the BCW boxes. They're just the sort of the best most efficient like storage containers and they have all different sizes they have yeah. even huge ones like shelf ones you know oh wow so, oh quick aside too on the pirate lab stuff you can customize how you cut it out right yeah they've got different foam inserts so if you have a cube you might want a different size one than if you're carrying a bunch of standard decks you might want a different size one than if you're carrying a bunch of edh decks that's cool yeah it's really great and every t- and you could actually buy multiple foam inserts mm-hmm. and so the insert doesn't even you can just put like the foam inserts on a shelf like the three different ones and then you're like oh i'm going to play edh so i'm taking this one and using it oh i'm we're playing cube so this time i'm taking this one and so it really is interchangeable and it makes it so that instead of buying like the bag three times you just buy the foam insert three times which is way cheaper and more cost effective so i really like that yeah i Uh, like pirate lab a lot too yeah my favorite deck boxes (laughs) i wrote down wormwood um just because they're cool. They're the the wooden ones. They're custom made. They have like leather bound snapping yeah, covers. Snap they look sharp. They're not technically as like they don't have a um a area for dice or anything like that. They just they just look cool. They're I don't know. Yeah. They're, they're sturdy because they're wooden. They're a little bit more bulky because they're wooden. Um I don't know. I just like the aesthetic of them. It's one of the things that I like to do is buy fancy deck boxes. Like everybody has that thing about magic. Like you like to foil out your decks. It's funny because I don't foil out my decks that much, Mm -hmm. but I foil out, I I quote unquote unquote. foil (laughs) out the deck box. I don't even know why I do that, but I just kind of like it. It is cool. I I mean, to each his or her own, you know, there's lots of cool customization out there. Let's just talk about the takeaways. Like magic is very much a game of self-expression in more ways than one. And how you hold your cards and collect them and organize them and take care of your own collection is a huge part of it. Um, I think, like, it's easy to get overwhelmed just playing the game. Like, I remember the first time I played EDH, I was very confused as to what was going on. And three months later, I have all these cards. I'm like, holy crap, what am I doing? going to do with all these cards? How am I going to organize all of them? Oh, gosh, I bought all these cards for this deck. I'm not even, I'm not even using them anymore. Ah. <laughs> so... Don't let your collection spiral out of control if you can help it. I think, um, you know, I think it's better to get on top of things before it gets too bad. So make a system, figure out what kind of player you are, ask the questions to yourself, what your priorities are, and figure out how you want to deal with your collection. And it is another investment on top of the cards you are already buying. But at the end of the day, it is something that's worth it because, you know, it's a collector's game. The cards you play with are worth something. You should store them, especially if they're worth a lot in a place where they're not going to be 
stepped on, you know, curl up because it's humid outside. Yeah, that's something we didn't talk about. But yeah, the value of the cards is high enough that actually having these protective things just to protect them is worth it. Like, yeah. you, it's crazy to have, a you know, $500 worth of cards and keep it in something that costs 27 cents. Like, mm-hmm. it, that's a little bit nuts. And I like, yeah, you talked about humidity. I'm sure people have noticed that, especially foil cards, but all cards under certain humidity will start to curl up or curve. Yeah. Foil cards do it more. And you'll also notice that once they've started to curve, there's nothing you can do. Um, it's not a matter of like pressing it in your yearbook or something. It's not going to, it's not going to straighten back out. So what if I put it in the spokes of my bicycle? (laughs) It'll sound cool. It'll sound great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's something to think about when you're storing cards. That's a reason to sleeve or double sleeve or, you know, a lot of people just sleeve. A lot of people just put the card directly in the binder. You should usually sleeve it before you put it into the binder. Yeah, um, I agree with that. And that'll keep uh, a lot of the humidity out and keep those expensive cards from curling up and therefore losing some of their value. So that's something to think about, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I love Magic because it has all these aspects to it. It's fun to collect stuff. It's fun to you know keep it in a nice place. And the nice thing about this, it's not like you're collecting, I don't know, like little figurines that take up space, like... If I stacked my entire collection together, it maybe would be like five feet tall, but it wouldn't take more than a corner, you know, if, right. I, if I really wanted to stack it all up or whatever. So I do like that aspect of it is that it's easy to make it a compact, not space consuming thing. It does consume a lot of space when it's just lying around everywhere, though. So that's why I advocate for organization. Don't be a hoarder, everybody. It's too easy. Yeah, it really is, especially in today's day and age. Um all right, to the listeners, let us know how you guys go about organizing your cards if you have any special methods. Um, I've seen some, like, really cool, like, someone's like, I bought this old thing that used to hold, uh, like, little name cards, and I've repurposed it to be my magic holder, and there's, like, this huge shelf with all these little cupboard, cubbies and stuff for each set. And so there are some really awesome things that people have done out there. Some people, like, custom-make their own boxes and laser print things on them. I need to get one of those 3D printers, man. People do cool stuff with that. Yeah, really cool stuff. So if you guys have your own cool system or sort of your best practices, let us know. You can send us an email at commandcast at rocketjump.com. You can tweet at us at commandcast, or you can post on the comments on YouTube or on our website, rocketjump.com slash the command zone. Yeah, I'd really be interested to hear about products that are maybe repurposed from other things or other games that work well for Magic because oh, there's cool. some real gems uh, that work that way where you see somebody and, like, I think it's Kessler or somebody that, that – found like this lunch old lunchbox that's oh, like the yeah, perfect yeah. size it fits the car- cards perfectly and it's like that is sweet i want to yeah. do something like that now i can't do the lunchbox thing because he does it um yeah it's his thing now yeah but if somebody <laughs> that i don't know very well tweets it at me then i can do it because no one in our playgroup's doing that and i can yeah be, i can be quote unquote individual that's right so let us know what your favorite products are as well um and you know it's a great chance for us to share our favorite stuff with you guys and obviously to, to hear about the hidden gems i know for one that one of my favorite things is I bought this because I saw it on Reddit. I bought this thing that's supposed to hold tea bags, and it's like this little thing that you can open up, and it, and it perfectly fits sleeves and cards. Really? So if you wanted to, you could have like six slots of just different. I put all my different sleeves there that are the extra ones that are left over. Sweet. Yeah, so it's very interesting. All right, moving on to the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Uh, Look at you. You're all ready this time. I am ready because right before I came to record today, uh, Matt Arnold, who's been on the show before, was like, hey, hey, do you have time to play a game? I'm like, I got to go record this podcast. Like, oh, man, but it's a game that's magic. I'm like, what do you mean magic? And it's a board game called Millennium Blades. It came out this year, and I'll read you the description. (laughs) 
Millennium Blades is a CCG simulator, a game in which you play as a group of friends who play the fictional CCG Millennium Blades. So the gist of the game, and this is insane. How meta is this thing? It's super meta. So in the game, you build decks, you play the meta, you acquire collections, and you go to the store, you crack boosters in the game, and then you trade in the store for, like, you can trade your cards in, you can trade, you can get new cards, you can expand the meta by getting these, like, expansion packs, and you compete in tournaments, and the tournaments get higher and higher. So it's got this, like, Pokemon-esque thing to it where you keep playing... You go from regionals to nationals and nationals to worlds, but you're making your own deck and playing it the entire time. What the heck? Yeah, it's like kind of a parody of Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh, but people really like it. Um, it's like a, it is you're essentially playing a CCG and you have all the aspects of it down to going to the store and trading your cards in and stuff. It sounds awesome, actually. Yeah, it sounds really awesome. I'm going to try and play it this weekend. Uh, apparently, it only takes 120 minutes, like two hours to, to play this whole thing. Yeah, you can play with up to five people. Seems really, really interesting. Um, Matt showed me some of the cards on the inside. It has this very sort of anime-esque feel to it, um, but it, it looks awesome. And so that's the end step is basically Magic the Gathering. Par- Millennium Blades. Parody? I don't know what you would call it. It's like The Sims, but for Magic the Gathering. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I just love the idea that every time you play it, it's different because you have the same expansion packs, but you could crack different cards. Like, your boosters might, you know, it has that little random element to it, too. I don't know. It seemed really, really insane to me. I want to play this now. Yeah, it seems cool. I need to make it to a rocket jump uh, game, game night. night. Yeah. yeah, we probably wouldn't game play that at a game night, but we Why would. not? It sounds it's cool. It's a two-hour adventure. So where everyone, what? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Everyone's like going home. They're like, what are you guys doing? It's like, we're playing Millennium Blades. That's right. If I'm going to make it to a game night, we're going to play for at least two hours. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's true. So uh, I'll let you know. I'll let you guys know how it is. Um, but until then, we hope to see you guys at Grand Prix Los Angeles. I almost said Las Vegas. <laughs> Grand Prix, well, geez, I wish there was a Las Vegas next year. Next year. Um, And GPLA is a modern tournament, yeah, which means you should probably go and listen to our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. It's not too late. It's not too late. If you want to catch up on all the things about modern, now would be the time, especially if you're going to GPLA. Go listen to those guys. Um, You can follow them on Twitter at The MMCast. You can find them on rocketjump.com under the podcast tab right next to us. And our editor for the show is Terry Robertson. Very special thanks to Terry. He does all of our video content. You can check that out at youtube.com slash the command zone podcast. I'm guessing this episode will have a lot of pictures of products. Uh, hopefully. So you can kind of check out how they work and, and, and what they look like. And then you can go to Prof Channel and find out the grading on them. <laughs> yeah. Because he's better at that than we are. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer at Living Cards MTG on Twitter, who does the animations on our show, as well as animate occasionally our spoiler cards. So, Jeffrey, you're killing it. Thanks so much for all your work to Terry and Jeffrey. And, of course, as always, well, I don't know. I don't know what's as always. See you guys at GPLA. I was like, where are you going with this? I don't know. I just started saying things. I was like, it's the end of a story. And as always, I was like, as Josh was laid down to bed to rest after a long day of rock starring. (laughs) Hey, now, get your game up. Get Get laid laid to rest. rest. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com.
or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.